The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. This very special episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by MyBookie. Guys, as a true football fan, you already know that every weekend your favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test. So why aren't you doing the same? We are halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. Tired of watching games from the couch with nothing to gain? MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back on the game. Best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in 1000 they'll give you 1000 Now you're playing with two. That's double your initial first deposit, and you can use it all on your favorite picks. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today where you play, you win, you get paid. Uh, support for the Armchair Media Network also comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It's a bold new world out there, boys. It isn't just the ladies that are expected to keep a clean shop in the nether regions these days. But you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Always use the right tools for the job. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trigger, uh, this trimmer, I should say, won't nick or snag your sack. And because of it, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-aging, chafing, anti-chafing ball deodorant. I'm just so excited I'm trying to get to the show. Anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the arm with the chair with the good god. With the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code armchair. So go to manscaped.com now. The number one in men's groom below the belt grooming. Your balls will thank you. And I thank you for sitting through that and uh, tolerating my mistakes and my bumblingness. And I'm just excited uh, because this is the Olin Crutes show, guys. I was able to uh, to get Olin on the show and we sat down tonight and uh, talked over what's going on with the current Bears. Uh, we talked about some of his teams that he played on uh, and um, a few things in between. It was... Uh, Really great time. I really, really enjoyed talking to him. Olin was a really great guy. He was very generous with his time. Generous enough that I was able to make this a standalone uh, episode for you all to enjoy. But uh, got a few news and notes to get to uh, before we get to that. So what do you say we go ahead and dive into the show? It's a conversation with Olin Krutz on the Bearstalk Underground. So let's get to it. It is Christmas in November, guys. Very special episode of the Bears Talk Underground with a very special guest, Olin Krutz. 13 seasons with our beloved Chicago Bears and uh, one sort of season with the New Orleans Saints, but we will talk about that. Um, what's going on, everybody? Larry D. back, and uh, thanks to the generosity of, of Olin Krutz with his time was able to uh, make this into a standalone episode that I could drop for you guys right away instead of uh, having to hang on to it and save it for the uh, for the preview episode that will drop on Friday. 
Our good friend Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit will be joining us uh, for that one. So, yeah, very excited. And it was a really interesting chain of events that led uh, this conversation to be taking place uh, with Olin. Uh, A few few weeks back, uh, Olin posted a tweet about saying that, uh, you know, he would argue that the the Thomas Jones trade was uh, was a bigger travesty than the one with uh, Greg Olson. Uh, I replied to that tweet. It got Olin's attention. He liked it and retweeted it, actually, uh, which, you know, I reached out to him and told him I was a fan, would love to have him on the show. He said, "Okay, sure. Starts following me on Twitter. I message him. Next thing I know, I got Olin Krutz on the phone and we are chatting about the Bears past and present. So, uh, yeah, just (laughs) I'm still kind of giddy about it because. I felt good about it all day. It was all I could think about at work. I was pretty much useless today uh, at work trying to think of it and, and coming up with, with questions or ideas on how to steer the conversation and things like that. But I was fine. You know, I was excited. And it wasn't until the phone started to ring that I started getting nervous. And then when I actually hit record to start the interview, now all of a sudden my belly's full of butterflies. You actually hear me say it. I saved it. Uh, on the intro like dude I have no idea how to start this thing like I I was just sitting there in silence with Olin because I couldn't figure out a clever way to get it started so I just started talking and I hope you guys enjoy that and I hope you enjoy the the entire uh, conversation a couple of things I want to get to before uh, we get to to uh, before we get to Olin Um, two things in particular one there's been a video floating around um, social media and, and things like that of a uh, of somebody filming a uh, a security guard at the gates of Khalil Mack's house uh, in Chicago, and um, making a big deal about it because basically the security guard was there to tell trick or treaters that uh, you know wasn't saying whose house it was, but basically saying that this house isn't doing Halloween, so you don't need to, so don't go knock on the door because. Not, there's no candy. Just keep you know keep moving along and and everything. And I don't really see what the big deal is. People have you know like I I saw the like the one tweet I saw was from Barstool saying that it wasn't a good look and you know other people out there asking for thoughts on you know uh, Khalil Mack doing this and and uh, and whatnot. And this is much to do much to do about nothing as far as I'm concerned. He didn't want to participate in Halloween, so he didn't. And the guy is making some pretty decent change. So he hired someone to alert the neighborhood that he's not participating uh, in 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 Halloween, that there's no candy. If you come knocking on my number one, don't come knocking on my door. Number two, if you do, uh, if somebody answers, we're only going to tell you that uh, after I get done firing the security guard, I'm telling you that there's no candy. So just keep it on. Keep it moving. You know, not everyone participates in Halloween and not everyone who does that is a terrible person. Uh, you know, <laughs> it could just be that, uh, he's a single guy that doesn't want to keep answering his door. Not to mention he is Khalil Mack for Christ's sake. Some of those kids are bound to notice, which could turn it into a, uh, turn it into a circus or a frenzy or something like that. You know? So I don't really see what the big deal is. Must've been a slow news day. God knows we got plenty to talk about with this team. Uh, the least of the least of all things that we need to be worried about are Khalil Mack's uh, hosting habits when it comes to trick or treat. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's on, on Halloween. So I don't really see why this was a, uh, a story. I really don't see it as him being, you know, with him doing this with any kind of malice, like he hates kids or anything like that he just didn't want to participate with trick-or-treaters and halloween and stuff like that so i don't know and it's not like he told the the security guard to be a dick or anything like that he just told him people told him to tell the passers-by this house isn't doing halloween so you know better luck at the next house kind of thing i i don't know just seems silly to me that this was even a story that that uh you know that we're even talking about it quite frankly so i'm gonna stop now the other big story that's kind of circulating around Bears universe uh, at the moment is the fate of Mike Davis, our, our free agent uh, running back that was uh, thought to have a more significant role in this offense, or at least that was the impression that we were given when he signed uh, his contract. I don't know how many snaps he's played this year, but I think I would still have fingers left over if I tried to count them all. I mean, You'd have all your fingers if you tried to count how many snaps he played against Philadelphia uh, on Sunday. I think he's even been inactive for a game or two this year. And the question is, if we let Mike Davis go before, I think, 3 p.m. on Saturday, then we would be in a position to gain a compensatory pick, a fourth-round compensatory pick in next year's draft and for a team that's kind of strapped for draft assets we gave up our fourth round pick in 2020 to move up in the third round last year to get David Montgomery so we're without a fourth round pick right now we've got two seconds uh I think we got two fifths our own fifth and a fifth that we got from the Raiders as part of the Khalil Mack trade a sixth and a seventh right now so um you know an extra pick in the fourth round would probably be a would be a nice thing and I and and I in this this whole thing number one is not fair uh to Mike Davis I'm sure that if he knew the Bears were going to use him like this he would have gone somewhere else because right now you know he's basically stealing money in Chicago and again that's not his fault it's not up to him uh that Matt Nagy is is either putting Tariq Cohen or David Montgomery on the field only and um but like I said as far as um you know, getting some extra draft assets uh, in there. Um, you know, I think it would be a good idea, especially if this, if the first eight games is indicative of how we're going to use Mike Davis, then why not let Mike Davis go somewhere else and see if somebody else can use him? You know, I think that's, you know, just thinking as far as Mike Davis is concerned, he's, he, you know, yeah, he's making a decent salary, and I'm sure making $3 million a year for the next two years isn't going to suck, but... You know, it's I don't see him coming back in 2020. So why not get something in return? You know, if we let him go during the offseason, we get nothing for him. If we let him go now or before Saturday, then we at least get a fourth round pick out of it. And, uh, you know, it's a compensatory pick. So it'd be the back half uh, of the fourth round. But that's a pick we didn't have yesterday, uh, if you will. So. You know, uh, honestly, I would like to see Mike Davis on the field running the football just to mix things up and uh, to use Cohen as more of a back out of the backfield or in the slot like we have before because this year, unfortunately, Cohen has been atrocious running the ball. Not his fault. The offensive line hasn't been as good to him this year as they, w- as, as they were last year or in 2017 his, his rookie year uh, as well. We were much better at run blocking in those two seasons, but this year it's been terrible. And uh, I think I saw Lauren Cox on on Twitter uh, saying that Tariq Cohen probably leads the league in horizontal yards running towards the sideline before actually turning it up. The guy ran 25 yards for a one-yard gain before he finally just decided to try to turn it up and get a little something. So, um, you know, put the put Mike Davis in there or uh, or, or let him go secure the pick and then bring up uh you know ryan Nall or, or kareth white to uh add something else to the uh to the backfield maybe a new wrinkle uh in the offense or whatever you know i just think that that would probably be the better thing for 
everyone involved uh, at this point. Mike Davis gets a chance to try to find a, a new place to play and some place that will actually use him. The Bears get a draft pick out of the deal, and we get to bring up one of our young guys off the practice squad or sign somebody else off the street and uh, see what they can bring uh, to the offense. So, I mean, I just think it's, it's the best for, for everyone involved. All things being equal, if I had it my way, I would just, I, I, we don't know what we have in, in Mike Davis because, quite frankly, I never saw much of him uh, in Seattle, so I don't know much about his, his resume. It was good enough to get on the Bears' radar and sign him this year, and signing him is what triggered the Bears to trade Jordan Howard, so the guy's got to be worth something. And, uh, you know, I would like to see what we have in Mike Davis. What do we have to lose uh, at this point, you know? Maybe he'll be the guy that sparks the offense and we're off and running. Otherwise, just let him go. Let's get the pick and, and, and see what, what happens from, from there. Bring up Null or bring up Garrett, Kareth White or, like I said, one of those, uh, f- you know, free agents off the street. And, you know, if they suit the offense better, then bring that guy in and see what happens. So, um, yeah, so that's what I would do, you know, can I would prefer to see Mike Davis play, but you know, if if we're just if we're just going to keep using him the way that we've been using him, then I would say let him go and let's get the pick. So that's my two cents on the uh, on the matter. So anyway, that's my little bit of uh, news and notes, and uh, I've been teasing you all enough. Let's go ahead and dive right into it. It's a special conversation with a very special guest, Olin Krutz of the Chicago Bears right here on the Bears Talk Underground. You know, I'm having trouble uh, thinking of a way to to kick this off, I guess, because all of a sudden my nerves have kicked in. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Uh, ever since he agreed to to come on the show, and here he is on the line with me right now, and I have no idea how I want to do this intro, so I'm just going to go ahead and introduce him. Number 57 in your program, but number one in your heart, it's Olin Krutz of the Chicago Bears. Olin, thanks so much for being on the show, sir. For sure, man. Thanks for having me. So, Olin, let's let's uh, let's dive right in uh, to our current uh, beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, this 2019 team had such high expectations uh coming into uh the season uh you know we're, we're bringing everybody back it's year two in in the naggy system it's year two of this team uh playing together uh and basically the team was hidden from us all throughout preseason because nobody really played any significant snaps and then we get to week one green bay the day that we were all looking forward to and here comes the defense. They're their old formidable selves. They sacked Aaron Rodgers five times, but it's the offense that kind of, you know, we got off to, off to a horrible start with the offense, and we haven't really seemed to recover much in the weeks to in the weeks to pass. And here we are at the halfway point, looking at a three and five record. Right, and the only game you could say the offense did anything, and still yet the defense got two turnovers to kickstart everything. Is that Washington Redskins game, right? right. Where Ha-ha, Clinton Dix had a pick six. So uh, the offense definitely has been really disappointing. Uh, I did not see it coming. I thought they had all the weapons they needed. Uh, you know, Allen Robinson. I thought Miller would take a step this year. Mm-hmm. was hoping that Trey Burton and Shaheen uh, uh, would open up that middle for us. Taylor Gabriel with his speed. Uh, the addition of Cordero Patterson and Montgomery. And, of course, uh, uh, your your number one weapon, who none of us have seen for a while, uh, do anything is Tariq Cohen, right? Who uh, defenses defenses should have nightmares about, uh, but they haven't. Uh, the offensive line, with their penalties, has definitely taken a step back. Right. Uh, people are starting to question switching James Daniels and Cody Whitehair. So, uh, and you just thought with Nagy and Ragon and Heffrick and Coach Heastan and Brad Childress joining the staff. Uh, none of us could have saw uh, the number 29th ranked offense in the NFL. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, and and even after the the Green Bay game, you're like, okay, well, let's just hope that this was one of those week one flukes where one team just came more prepared uh, than the other, and then you know week two will rebound against uh, a Denver. It didn't happen there, and then like you said, we finally got some life in the offense in in the Redskins game, uh, but you know. 
you and I see all your clips on on Twitter, so you have the you have access to the all twenty two. You get to actually do a deep dive on the field on the film, I should say. Is there a a common theme throughout? Is it something that's like this is what plagued us this game, and this is what that one? Is it a quarter by quarter thing? Because as an armchair quarterback, I you know I can assess only what I'm seeing on Sundays when when the game is actually on. What are you seeing when you have a chance to break down the film? Well, and just so you guys and everybody listens to your podcast knows, on NFL.com, if you sign up for the year and get the NFL Game Pass, oh, okay. and, uh, you can access the coaching film on the All-22. But, but the big, the big storyline for the Bears this year is not only Allen Robinson really is playing better football than last year, right? right. So everybody has really regressed, which is strange to me. Uh, you know, it kind of speaks to you start to wonder about the kind of off season they had. Uh, maybe they went into the off season and into the season a little too confident in themselves. And when I say everybody now, I mean Coach Nagy included uh, with his play calling. Uh, you have to look at the coaching when players are not developing, right? So uh, David Montgomery has looked good back there running the ball. Allen Robinson has looked good, didn't have a great game against the Eagles this past week, but uh, you can't play well every week in NFL, and he, and he was due for one of those. But uh, Trey Burton with his injury, and look, a, a lot of what we thought about what the O-line was going to be good, a lot of that was we thought Kyle Long finally went into the offseason. He had no surgeries, right? right. Uh, we thought he was 100% healthy. Uh, he was looking good in camp, and then his body just deteriorated on him, yeah. and he was looking terrible in games, and the Bears had to put him on IR. So, so I guess if you say what the common theme is, it's just that no one is playing and or coaching good football at all. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and Olin Crudes, or I'm sorry, uh, Kyle Long. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, Kyle Long really was, I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, how funny is it that of all the things that we have to talk about with the offensive line, the biggest question mark going into a season is Kyle Long. Will he be able to return to form and, and I was talking at the beginning of the of the of the preseason about how it was actually somewhat as far as 2019 is concerned a blessing that Kyle Long got hurt when he did because he came back and he was healthy and he did not have to go through any off seasons rehabs and surgeries or or anything like that he was 100% healthy and roaring and raring to go said he felt better than he'd felt in years and all that kind of stuff and then it just went sideways almost immediately once the season got started. Yeah, as, as, a, as a guy who watches a lot of O-line play, when you watch a guy, especially a guy who's as big and as strong, as, as athletic as Kyle Long is, maybe uh, the most gifted O-lineman physically I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you know, while with the Bears, when you can't stop the bull rush, when you can't stop the power move anymore, uh, to me that speaks to health. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you have to be strong. When these D linemen in the NFL, when they run at you and put their hands on you, and you know, in, in there is just a bloodbath, right? Inside, in, inside the inside the tackle box, it's just guys running into each other, uh, beating each other up, and you have to enjoy the physical part of it, yeah. and you have to be able to take it. And it didn't look like he could take it anymore. Guys were just running him back to the quarterback, and I was not surprised when all of a sudden it came out that he had an abductor or a hip problem. Yeah, the 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 play that that stood out the most for me as to you know there being a real issue uh, with Kyle was the the London game against the Raiders and on on of all plays the touchdown play for for David Montgomery when he absolutely got blown up into the backfield because I think that play was supposed to go right and Montgomery ended up having to cut it left because the right side of the offensive line was pushed uh, into the backfield uh, up in his face. Yeah, and, you know if you go back to the Broncos game when he was playing against Wolf, uh, the D tackle for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. He was getting the best of Kyle. Uh, you go to the Redskins game, I think the guy, the D lineman's name was Ionitis. Yes. Uh, yeah. He was getting the best of Kyle. So uh, it's been going on. It was going on for a while, right? And it was just, when you're watching, you're just thinking, how much more can he take? It, just, it, looked, like, it looked like he was sore playing the game. And, and, and you, don't, you never want to see a guy who used to be a really good football player uh, looking like that on a football field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's rough. I mean, 
you know, it kind of reminds me, you know, obviously uh, day and night as far as the positions that they play, but more like a like a Mike Brown who who got off to a really just one of the hottest starts and, and was an amazing playmaker uh, for the Bears. And then around year four or five is when the injury started to uh, roll in. And he just never – it was more about bad luck with Mike Brown than anything else. Like he just couldn't catch a break year in and year out, one injury after the other. Yeah, I mean, when, when Mike was healthy, I think there was – you could argue that he was a Hall of Fame safety. Oh, and he for was sure. on his way yeah, to that kind of career. And just a – huge part of our locker room, a huge part of uh, the leadership on our team. And, and just, you know, whenever I talk to people about, about Mike Brown, I always say that if you, if you are a football player, the number one compliment you can get is when you walk in a room, other football players say, say that man is a football player. That's a football player right there. Yeah. And that's Mike Brown. When he walks in a room, you know, you're like this guy used to like, I told my sons that the bears 100. I said, that man right there was a football player. Loved every minute of it. And you're right. It was just his body just eventually too many injuries, and he wasn't the same player that he was before that. But uh, Mike did still play 10 or 11 years. So, yeah, he did. Uh, speaks, speaks to his toughness, you know. Yeah. I just wonder by, you know, how many, how many hundred points would we have won the Super Bowl by if, uh, if Mike Brown was healthy against the, uh, the Colts in, in Super Bowl 41? Well, you can make an argument that if you put Mike Brown and Tommy Harris on that field, oh yes, uh, two of course, all pros, yeah, uh, two guys who were at that time were the best at what they did, yes. right? So you had Erlacher, you had Lance Briggs, you had Tommy Harris, you had Adewale Agunlier, yep. you had Mike Brown, you had Charles Tillman. If that defense would have stayed together, um, it's hard to, you know, I mean, you want to say what if, but uh, as an analyst now, if you look at that defense. Uh, there's no way to argue against the fact that we had a very good chance to, to uh, lead that season with the Super Bowl ring on our fingers. Yeah, because there's one play in particular that I think both of those guys, Harris and Mike Brown, would have impacted so that it never happened, that being the, the moon ball that, uh, that Peyton hung up there for Reggie Wayne uh, for the touchdown. Right. It's like Daniel Manning bites on the fake to, to Dallas Clark. Mm-hmm. Tank Johnson doesn't get there in time. The ball gets off, and Reggie Wayne, is, it's like a punt return. He's just sitting there waiting for the ball to get there, and he walks into the end zone. I think Mike Brown doesn't fall for that, and Tommy Harris probably gets no. there. So, you know, I just well, it's fun to play what if on that. that. Yeah, but the one thing about that game, too, that a lot of people don't talk about, right, is that I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think the Colts had close to 200 yards rushing, right? Yeah, and if you yeah, put they Tommy did. Harris on the field, if you put Tommy Harris on the field, that changes that number. And if you put Mike Brown on the field to match wits with Peyton Manning, because you remember Peyton Manning now, he likes to get to the line of scrimmage in a formation yeah. and then call a play uh, to defeat your defense. If you got Mike Brown out there matching wits, and, and he's matching wits with Erlacher and, and, and Mike Brown versus Peyton Manning, it just gives you a lot better shot. Yeah, you're right about the the rushing because there was an argument that maybe Dominic Rhodes should have been the MVP instead of Peyton Manning in that game. So um, that, that's how well that he played. Speaking of which, do you think Thomas Jones is MVP of the game if the Bears win? I think he should be. And, and, and you know, I, there's a big argument that he should have carried the ball more too, right? But, sure, yeah. Uh, Thomas Jones, uh, MVP of our offense the years he was here for sure. Uh, kind of in the same way I just described Mike Brown, um, the same way you described Thomas Jones on the offensive side of the ball and what he brought, not only the way he played, but what he brought to the team every single day, his professionalism, uh, the way he was a teammate, the way he pushed guys to get better. Uh, Thomas Jones is the ultimate teammate. Yeah, and, and I have Thomas Jones to thank for, for you and I getting together because it was a tweet that I wrote about Thomas Jones that, that – uh, got your attention and that's why we're here so i'm all about thomas jones right now so yeah (laughs) he's my favorite so i mean i loved him in chicago i was very upset when uh when he got traded away you and me both you and me both (laughs) Uh, that never that 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 trade never never made sense to me and probably never will yeah yeah you're i'm i'm definitely with you uh on that so um only when I I had a chance to speak with with Emory Moorhead over the uh, over the summer, uh, just before training camp got started, and I was kind of drawing comparison with 
like the 84, 85 Bear teams that he was a part of. In 84, they kind of came out of nowhere. They won a division. They won a playoff game. They made it to the NFC title game, but they came up short. And then in 85, they were expected to go back and do better. Much like 2018 last year, the Bears kind of came. I mean, we, we all thought that they would be better, but I don't think anyone knew that they would be 12-4 and four winning the division uh, better. But coming into 2019, not only were they expected to duplicate that, but to make those strides to, uh, to go forward. Do you think that uh, like the 05-06 team kind of falls into that category as well? Uh, taking another step forward. Well, like in 05, you guys were coming off like yeah, a five and eleven and five, season, right? yeah. Yep. Then you make you go eleven and five, and then in 04, right? We were at five and uh, five and eleven, I Correct. think. And then yeah. uh, we went eleven and five, lost to Carolina, and then went to the Super Bowl the next year, right? Right. So, so coming um, into 06, yeah, we, you guys were expected to do that or to do better than you did in 05, and you actually were able to go ahead and do that. Yeah, things just. In 06, right, I think the difference with this team and the and that team that that, that you look at now, I, I, I went to this I went to camp this year and I'm sure you must have also and and watching this team practice in camp and looking at all the guys they had running around, um, you I could have never predicted where they are now. Yeah. I could have never predicted, you know, uh, um, four losses in a row, losing to the you know, only scoring three points like you're saying on opening night. Uh, being a twenty, you know, being a twenty-ninth ranked offense in the league, I just didn't see this coming at all. So, um, but the difference is, uh, they did have some change, right? They did have Fangio took that head job in Denver, right? right. In in '06, Ron Rivera was still here, and if you look at '07, uh, when we kind of fell off, uh, we did change our defensive coordinator. So there's some parallel there, although the defense has played pretty well this year. But uh, you're always looking. When a team takes a step back like this, you're always looking for, you know, what might have affected their chemistry in the building and, and why everybody's not moving in the same direction anymore, right? And uh, you have to look at the changes they've had, and it doesn't mean anybody's a bad guy or uh, um, anybody ruined the building. It's just not the same. It's just not the same chemistry as they had last year. It's not the same guys in that building. And as good as Pagano is and has been, uh, it's it's well it's you know it's well uh, Fangio around the league now. Uh, uh, I know I saw Kyle Shanahan, McVay, and Lafleur did an interview, and they all three called him the best defensive coordinator in the league. Right. So uh, you lose a guy like that, it's just it just has to affect your team a little bit, right? And and then no one saw, um, you know, Mr. Bisky has not played well at all, right. and, he, and he needs to play a little better. So all of that combined, and you're just and you lose Akeem Hicks. You know, let's not forget about that. Let's right. not forget about Akeem Hicks and Kyle Long because um, I like to say in an, in an NFL locker room on an NFL team, you got to have guys that when a street fight breaks out, uh, they're ready to go. And Akeem Hicks and Kyle Long are your, well, were the two guys. If you would ask me in camp, who's their two guys? Who's the two guys when the game gets tough? When the game starts to get a little dirty? like it did against Oakland, like it did against New Orleans, uh, like the Eagles did when they ran the ball. Uh, who's the two guys you're looking to? And I would have said Akeem Hicks and Kyle Long. Yeah, those are definitely two guys you don't want to meet in the dark alley kind of thing. So, no thank uh, you. Yeah, <laughs> no thank you. Yeah, no, th- no thanks at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you as far as, uh, you know, what do you think it is with Mitch that needs to be repaired? I mean, is it more like Nagy catering the offense back to the things that Mitch does well? Is it just that, you know, that Mitch isn't catching on to the offense the way that he should be at this point? And, you know, what what is it that you think is, is uh, the, the Achilles heel for Mitch, if you will? When you when you really look at the film, it just looks like his he's not comfortable in the pocket for, for whatever reason. Uh, he's not comfortable going through his reads. And then, like we talked about with this offense, right, it's like when he does, when he does make a throw, when he does make a play, they'll get a drop, right? And then, you know, as far as Coach Nagy goes, I don't think you should change your whole offense um, to, to, to fit Mitch, but at least do what he's comfortable with until he gets into a rhythm in the game. And by that I mean, for example, the Eagles game. Why do, Eagles and I think it was the, Char- was it the Chargers or New Orleans where they came on a, the second half 
and they ran that eye formation all the way down the field. It was the Chargers. I it was think. the Chargers game, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so why does it? Why are we always doing that in the first series of the second half? Is what I don't understand. And, and then the offense looks good, and Mitch takes a little bit of a half boot, and, and he has max protection, eight or nine guys blocking, and two guys running on the field. In the Chargers game, it was Allen Robinson for thirty-one yards. And yeah. uh, in the Eagles game. It was Taylor Gabriel for 53 yards, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, Mitch makes those plays, and guess what? He's playing a lot better football. Yeah. So I think you have to go back to, okay, ask yourself this now. Who was here when Mitch got drafted? Dow Loggins and Dave Ragone, right? Yeah. Dow Loggins, when he's studying Mitch, Dow Loggins wants to run a Kyle Shanahan-type system, right? You remember that? So yeah. what is that? Zone and zone boot. That's what he wanted to run. Guess what are the best plays Mitch has made in the last two weeks? Handing the ball off yeah. and then a zone and a play-action boot, turn your back to the defense, set up, and throw bombs. So sometimes you got if a guy is struggling, he's struggling in the shotgun right now when you put three or four wide receivers on the field, like against the Eagles, the, the famous now, they're in empty it looks like two guys are wide open and Mitch is holding the ball for whatever reason you can't explain. Right. Right? So he's struggling with that. So why are you giving that to him early, I mean? Get him going first. Yeah. And, you know, there was, a you know, like one of those moments uh, during the game that it was in the, uh, I believe, early in the fourth quarter uh, was that play that everybody thought that Tariq scored on where he ended up being about a yard short. The first play after that, they they have one tight end single back formation and they try to run Tariq up the middle and he almost fumbles when he tries to dive over the top. I almost broke my television screaming like, why aren't we in I formation here? Why aren't we going downhill with J.P. Holtz and, and Montgomery? I was like, I could not believe it. And then, of course, the very next play, that's what we do. And Dave Montgomery skirts right into the into the end zone. It just seems like Nagy at times is so reluctant to do what works because it's not what he intended to do with the offense. Right. And I'm glad I'm not the only one who's losing, losing my mind, but <laughs> look at the, look at, look at the, look at the, they went into the bye week. Coach Nagy said in London that, it, that his, he thought the offense's problem was the O-line in the run game. Right. Sure. Which yeah. I thought was not true because he doesn't like to run the ball. Right. Right. So you line up against the saints and the first thing they do after self scout for a week, for two weeks, is run inside zone with Tariq Cohen, okay? So my problem right now with, with that right now is I'm thinking to myself, these guys are having a hard time identifying what is really wrong with their offense, right? Because I see inside zone to Tariq Cohen, I'm thinking, okay, they're far off from what I think is wrong with this offense, right? Mm-hmm. From, from simplifying it, from going, from going, like you're saying, get a little bigger out there, put Lucas on the field as a tight end because you don't have a blocking tight end. Shaheen hasn't grown into that. Right. Put J.P. Hose at fullback. And Montgomery right now is your, besides Allen Robinson, is your best player on offense. And let's feed him the ball because we got a pretty damn good defense, right? Yep. But a good thing for you to think about now is this. Who do you think stopped the run? The, uh, who do you think stopped the run that Eagles, who stopped the, the Eagles from running the ball against the Bears? One hmm. guy stopped them. Doug Peterson. Right. Right? They got they got all the way down to the red zone the first two drives, and he threw the ball four out of six plays while averaging five yards a carry. He <laughs> is from the same scheme as Coach Nate. Right. If I'm an Eagles fan, I'm screaming like me and you are screaming right now. <laughs> what the – they finally get down there, and they finally give the ball to Jordan Howard, and he walks into the end zone. Yeah. Untouched. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this is the kind of scheme that that we hired when we hired Coach Nate. So mm-hmm. you're going to be screaming about the run game for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if, what's so frustrating about it is that when he finally does go to power football, when he does run it out of the the eye or the offset eye, two tight ends, one tight end, over you know, overloaded uh, line or whatever, all of a sudden the offensive line is getting a push. And David Montgomery is is getting through the first level and into the second. And that's what I've been waiting to see all year long as I've been saying, like, I think Montgomery has the potential to be a superstar in the waiting if we could just get him past the line of scrimmage because it just wasn't happening. 
a friend of mine tweeted during the Redskins game that David Montgomery has the most breathtaking, beautiful three-yard runs in NFL history because of all of the dancing and <laughs> twisting and turning that he's doing. That's all he can manage to get because he can't get through uh, the line of scrimmage. And then we saw in the Chargers game, it's like this is what's working, and yet we didn't come out doing it right away with the in the Eagles game the week after. Yeah, and if you, if you take a good look at the, the, my my favorite play from this last game, a play that gives me a little bit of hope uh, when I watch this Bears team play is the Eagles have a very good defense versus the rush, right? Yeah. Uh, their weakness is really against the pass. So in that, in the fourth quarter, I think it was about little under 11 minutes left. Um, I posted on Twitter today, but they ran ISO out of eye. Mm-hmm. right at the Eagles' best player, right? Cox. Fletcher Cox, yeah. And they got 17 yards, <laughs> right? And they put Cox on the ground. Uh, uh, Coward and James Daniels put Cox on the ground. They rode up, and like you said, Montgomery just pops through there. Yeah. And if you can do that on the road versus the Eagles, I mean, really, if Montgomery catches that pass that, that the screen to him oh, and he drops, come on. he might still be running. He, right? might, he still might still be running. Be running there. Yeah. 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 But my problem right there is why not go to a little play action right there where you fake the run and Trey Burton or Shaheen just kind of leak out in the flat and you take a, you just take the first down there or take a shot, right? Take a yeah. shot like you did to Taylor Gabriel. Take a shot like you did to Allen Robinson. He barely missed that pass. He almost yeah. jumped over that guy again, right? I'm going to give Allen Robinson one more shot at that. I, I think he comes down with it. Yeah. So – um. Like you're saying, and like everybody's saying, it seems obvious to us, and I don't want to underestimate how much work these coaches put in, right? Oh, yeah. And how much studying a film, and how many hours they spend, and they, they see things that I don't see, or we don't see when we watch film. But it seems so painfully obvious since they came out of their bye week, what's their, what they are actually good at, and we're still not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and therein lies the the frustration among the uh, among the fan base. It's like obviously you you know the fan base is filled with with armchair quarterbacks, and you know that uh, you know we all know if if they put us in as OC, the Bears would be undefeated, be racking up fifty points a game, and and things <laughs> like that. But you know it's it's just you know it comes along with with being uh, you know a fan or being a an NFL oh, player. Yeah. The you know the peanut gallery is going to have things to say, but sure. Um, for sure. You know, and I'm with you. It's like, I, you know, I, I giving my opinions. That's why I'm here. That's why my listeners listen to the show and and things like that. But like you said, when it's so painfully obvious, it's like, why isn't it obvious to them? Or or at, at times, do you think maybe Nagy's trying to be too clever instead of just doing what's working because he thinks that the defense is ready for it and trying to catch him off guard at times? I think that I think that what we all have to understand about coaches is uh, their playbook is like their religion, right? Sure. And they're not going to give yeah. up on that very easily. So <laughs> um, he would have to dump uh, everything he's learned from Andy Reid and Doug Peterson over the years, and he would have to go to an old-school uh, Ron Turner-type eye formation. The thing that, that I, I just watched the game, and I know that they don't have very much a, a, a lot of eye formation plays or concepts, is I, I have not seen Paro out of eye yet, and Paro is the is the play that matches that weak ISO play they've been running with so much success, but it's to the strong side. And then you haven't seen the K fours or the or the quick play action passes with the fullback with JP Holtz leaking in the flat, and like you like you hear um, uh, John Gruden saying all the time, "Why banana?" Right. <laughs> so I haven't seen any of that, and and th- those are the plays. All I've seen off of these well, – that's what I'm trying to tell you is all I've seen off of these I-formation plays when they do go play action is a seven-step drop or a pull-up bootleg where they're going deep. So you have to have a three-step drop off of those plays, a five-step drop, and a seven-step drop where you take a shot or you just hit them on like a 12-yard over or, or a comeback or just a two-yard out in the flat to the fullback. And we haven't seen any of that. And I think that the way they run the ball and how many guys they have to put in a box to stop David Montgomery, I think those things are free right now if they'll take them. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking forward now to the second half of the season, a three and five 
I mean, having this conversation with anybody, I would expect it us to be at worst five and three, not three and five, more like seven and one, six and two, uh, something like that with, you know, with a pretty heavy slate coming in the second half as well. We got the Rams, the Cowboys, the Chiefs. We got two games coming up with the, the Lions and a rematch with the Packers and the Vikings. It's not going to get any easier in the second half of this uh, in the second half of this season. So, you know, looking, you know, what do you think it's going to take for it to kind of turn around and for this team to kind of get their their swagger back a little bit? Because they don't also seem to be carrying themselves the same way they did last year. It's going to take a lot, man. It's, it's going to take – they're going to have to get something out of their special teams because this offense now, they're, they're kind of – they are what they are, right? They're, they're all what yeah. they've shown. Um, you know, they're eight games in. So we're going to need we're going to need strong play from our special teams. Try to get some scores there. Uh, our defense we got to start turning the ball over more, uh, getting some turnovers and putting these guys in in good position to score. Although they although they seem to get uh, one or two every time they play, but that's asking a lot out of that defense. But um, honestly, Coach Nagy is going to have to really uh, take a really good look at his playbook, and he's just going to have to do what works. He's just going to have to do what Mr. Bisky does well, because I don't think anybody can argue. I was talking to a coach from one of the teams they played recently. And he, you know, the first thing he said is their weapons still scare us. Mm. You know, all the, the Tariq Cohen still scares them. Tariq Cohen really scares people. Allen Robinson still, Allen Robinson still scares people. Yeah. Kayla Gabriel can still get behind your defense. Now you add Montgomery into that mix. The one person – now, the offensive line in the first half of the Eagles game, they have to play better than that. Right. Uh, that that was a bad performance by them. But that goes also back to the play calling, right? Like, if you have if you have two new starters, a young center in James Daniels and a young – and a right guard who was a defensive tackle in college in his third start, you probably don't want to leave a one-on-one with Cox too many times, okay? Right. So <laughs> – what, what, what they're going to have to do is, is really, if they want to turn this thing around, they're going to have to turn into a, run, a smash mouth running team, kind of like the 2005 team, because mm. everybody comes in here and just says, look, make Mitch Trubisky play quarterback. Yeah. Keep him in the pocket. And the problem with what Coach Nagy's doing right now is when he puts him in shotgun and, and, and drops him back in that pocket, that's exactly what the defense wants. Wow. So, Olin, you've unfortunately you've been through some tough seasons, uh, you know, in your time uh, with the Bears. How hard is it to stay focused when it appears that the season is over? I mean, we still have a whole half of the season left to go. Uh, it's it's not impossible for this team to go on a run. It's just that nothing they've done up to this point indicates that that's what's coming up ahead. So, how hard is it to stay focused when when everybody is saying like from the outside in this season is done and we're looking forward to twenty twenty. Honestly, not not it, it shouldn't be hard at all, and, and I'm sure it is for some guys. But look, um, like if I was playing center this week, right? You, you could talk about being three and five. You could talk about the Lions being, you know, what are the Lions right now? Three, three four, four, and, four one. and one. Yeah. You talk about all of that stuff. Look here, I got Snacks Harrison in front of me. Okay, yeah. this guy wants to eat my lunch. <laughs> he wants to embarrass me in front of everybody. So I, I have that's how you stay focused. You worry about your street fight you have. You worry about beating the man in front of you. You worry about getting better at your craft, uh, what you do for a living. Because, look, this is what these guys do for a living. This is what uh, we do. You show up on Sunday at noon to 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 defeat the Lions and, and win your battle. Do your job. Don't worry about – don't be in the building talking about Adam Shaheen dropping a kickoff return. That's none of your business. Right. That's, that's not that's not what you're there for. You're there like like if it, we're talking about me, I am there to play center. That's what I'm there for. And I got Snacks Harrison, and I know they got two good linebackers back there. Now I know their defense, uh, they're 31st in the league. And I'm thinking to myself, their offense is going to score 20 points, which we haven't done very often this year. And we got to put up at least 24 to 28 points to win this game. And I'm trying to get this thing back on track. Yeah. So. Uh, if anybody's losing focus, uh, if I'm in that building and I'm running the building, I'm taking note because those aren't the guys I want on my team next year. Yeah. 
you know, I, thinking about like team or uh, seasons that had some adversity to them, like one of my favorite uh, wins was like week 16 of 2009. It was a Monday night game against the Vikings. And they're coming into town, and it's supposed to be a walk-away victory for them because this is the last great year of Brett Favre, that magical season he had in Minnesota. If they win the game, they got home field advantage in the NFC playoffs. And then all of a sudden, some guy named Devin Aromashadu goes for like 180 and three touchdowns <laughs> on him, and we win in an overtime. Game. Yeah, and yeah. it just throws everything off. They don't get home field. They have to play that NFC title game in New Orleans, and they end up losing and not going to the Super Bowl. It's like the Bears had a hand uh, in that. They, they're the ones that kept them from getting that home field advantage that probably would have helped them out, you know, and that's something, you know, to play for in, in a season that uh, that can be challenging is to, at the very least, stick it to one of your rivals. Right, and, and I remember that game because um... – they, that was a very good Vikings team. But if yeah. I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, I'd have to look this up. But I, if, if this is the game, I remember that the guy who I used to go to war with, who now um, I can admit was a very good football player. And that's that's how rivalries grow, right? Right, absolutely. Pat Williams played nose guard for them. And he made that defense just almost impossible to run the ball on. But he sat out that game with an injury. And I remember he walked out, and I, I remember they had to win that game. And I remember telling him when he, when he walked out, you just lost your team the game, <laughs> right? He, and he was looking at me like, well, you know, he, he's like, what do you mean? I go, because you're the only guy who could stop me. Because now, whoever your backup nose guard is, I'm going to abuse this guy. Nice. So I, I, re, I do remember that game. All right. Two more things I want to ask you before I let you go, Olin. Uh, one – the uh the, the the one thing about this team that I hate more than anything else in the world are the orange jerseys. I absolutely detest <laughs> the orange jerseys. I mean, and this was something that came about during the Lovey era when you were on the team uh and everything. And I was wondering, were you ever a fan of the orange jerseys? I could care less what color I was wearing as long as I got to hit somebody. So um, you know the, the I feel like I'm living in hell half the time that I don't get to go play football anymore, and I'm right. too old. So yeah. and now I, I, I watch uh, I watch my sons play, and and, and it can't control my, my emotions half the time when I'm watching them play anyway. So uh, it, it, I don't care what color jersey you gave me. If I could line up and, and be young again and, and hit people sure. and be, be in the middle of those uh, football games, uh, I could care less. Yeah, you know what, what's ironic about it is that when I was in high school, I went to Evanston. Uh, high school our colors are orange and blue so you know we we wore we wore orange our home colors were orange we wore orange tops with blue bottoms uh in orange helmet. we kind of looked like syracuse back in the day but um that's that's what's ironic about it but it's like it just it never sat well with me i never liked the white numbers with the dark trim and i'm a graphic design guy so these kind of things bother me and it just uh you ever you ever see that book uh don't sweat the small stuff no, maybe I should yeah, read you gotta, it. You got to get that book. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing if I want to ask you if about. If the orange jerseys are bugging you that much, you might have to get that book. It's maybe. Awesome. I think I'm going to write that one down, put it on my Amazon wish list or something. <laughs> and then the last thing uh, I wanted to, to ask you about, you, you weren't on the field for this, but you were on the team. This is 2001. And the reason I bring it up is because I just saw a, somebody reposted the clip of it on Facebook about a week or two ago mm-hmm. it was the the keith trailer interception against <laughs> yeah, the jaguars um uh-huh. he he does the one-handed grab he's you know rumbling down the field uh and all that kind of stuff and i know that when you guys are between series you're you're on the bench you guys are talking over the drive and what adjustments you need to make and so on and so forth but i was wondering were you standing and watching the game at that time or were you caught up in the middle of something else and you didn't get to see it oh no you, uh, listen we saw it like everybody else in the stadium, nobody was sitting down when truck took off, right? When we called him truck, Keith trailer. Right. And that defense, man, you took, you, you take a look at Greg Blotch's unit, the numbers they posted that year. Yeah. That was a good defense, man. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, uh, you know, nothing better than a fat guy running down the field. With Damn football, right. Right. And just, and just <laughs> going and just, uh, I just I don't know if I've ever laughed that hard on a football field, but oh. uh, Keith Trailer was a hell of a football player. But no, 
I didn't miss that. I, I watched every second of it because uh, that defense with Ted Washington and Keith Trailer yes. and Philip Daniels and Brian Robinson, uh, you know, rest in peace, Brian yes. Robinson, but Lack, Rosie Colvin, Warwick Holman, Tony Parrish, Mike yeah. Brown, R.W. McQuarters. I mean, that was a unit now. Yeah, that was a special team, too, 13-3. and three. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Those overtime wins with Mike Brown against San Francisco and Cleveland, but it's like the reason that I that I brought it up was like I said, somebody posted a clip of that on Facebook a week or two ago. <laughs> right, yeah. I was automatically transported to the moment that I was watching that, and I remember vividly. <laughs> I was in my living room and I was laying on the floor. He picks that off. By the time he gets done rumbling down the field and gets tackled, Olin, I'm on my feet screaming at the TV, you know, because I'm a fat guy too, and there's nothing cooler in the world to see another fat guy do something like that. You never get a chance to see that. Yeah, and football is the best. And then the 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 only thing that was better than that was watching the replay in slow motion, where he's about twenty yards into (laughs) and he's he's looking to pitch the ball to somebody. There's like twenty two guys on the field. There were like fourteen at the on the end of the tackle when it was just like a Uh, smattering of bodies, like somebody threw a grenade into a huddle or something. When they finally brought him (laughs) down, it was just like one of my favorite bear plays of all time. Man, not not enough oxygen in the stadium for Keith after that play. <laughs> Say that much. <laughs> That's right. That is so right. Hearing the pizza and the beer that night. That's for sure. <laughs> so one last thing before I let you go. With the, we got the Lions uh, coming up. Do you have any? Because yeah. I feel like that was one of the more intense divisional rivalries, especially during your time uh, on the team. And it's certainly for me as a fan. For one reason or another, the Lions are the team that I hate to lose to the most. I cannot stand it when the Bears can't beat the uh, – or when they don't, I should say, when they don't beat the the Lions. Do you have any, you know, like war stories like, you know, in the Indomitian Sioux days or anything like that that, uh, you know, as we go into this game with the Lions on Sunday? Well, um, you know, Indomitian Sioux, I think he was a, a, a rookie my, the, my last year with the Bears. But right, okay. I, I think it was 2005, and, you know – Dominic Riola, I don't know if you remember their center, their fiery yeah, center. Yeah. Uh, he was my best friend growing up in Hawaii. So I've known Dominic um, my whole life, really. He was my neighbor. But uh, we go into overtime in 2005, and we're, you know, we're 60 minutes into the game, so we walk out for the coin toss in overtime, the captains do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that might be the um, – I'm not mistaken. I couldn't know. I probably wasn't. But anyway – Corey Redding, who I've been playing against now for 60 minutes, is standing at the coin toss, uh, breathing fire, huffing and puffing, and staring us down. And I said, Corey, I mean, you just had 60 minutes to act <laughs> like you were tough. I go, the, the coin toss is not the time to be tough, just in case you're wondering. Right. And Dominic just started dying laughing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's one of my funny lion stories. I'm like, you had you had all games to act tough. We're gonna act tough at the coin toss of overtime. Okay, sounds good. That was the the peanut pick six game, wasn't it? Oh five. I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's the game we. I know we won. I don't yeah. Know, I, I can't remember everything, but I think we won. It was we, we didn't score a lot of points, but right. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it was when peanut picked it off. Yeah, oh five was a remarkable team. I, I went back and looked in wins and losses at like eight games or something like that that year. The defense held the opponent to 10 points uh, or less yeah. that year. 2005, I mean, 2001, and then, you know, we had the um, we had the number eight ranked rushing offense in the league, right, which is kind of amazing with no passing offense, but mm. uh, we did. So we could run the ball. So that's yeah. Thomas Jones again, right? So uh, that always matches up well with a good defense. And uh, sometimes, you know, like we get back to, Talking about Coach Nagy, sometimes you, you just you, you got Dave, you got Montgomery, man. I mean, and your O line and, and your JP Holtz has proven that they can run the ball on people. Uh, just let them do it. Yep, I hope to, to hope we see a bit more of that uh, as the season progresses, and I hope we see a lot more wins. I mean, we haven't seen a a club dub since the last weekend in September, so uh, it would yeah, be. I mean, uh, what is their what is their record uh, uh, at home? I mean, they're not. I don't know. I think they have one win at home. Yeah, they're one in three right now. Yeah, so the, the fans could use a win. We could all use a yeah. win around here. Like, you know, um, you know, my, my job now is analyzing a team. You yeah. do a little bit of it. We all do a little bit of it. Uh, it's no fun when they're losing. So, um, 
if they could win one for us guys who analyze them, that'd be great. <laughs> we make that, that post game that you do with uh, Briggs yeah. and Forte a lot more fun to uh, sit through. Yeah, and, and Alex, and look, I mean, uh, I don't know if we can put that up in the locker room, win one for the analysts. That may help. Who knows? Well, you're not just so, analysts. You're alumni. You you guys are, right. you know, you guys are studs uh, from well, back in the say, day. So They say once you go to the dark side, you can't come back. So, ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I got you. But, well, anyway, man, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Olin. I really appreciate your time. Olin Krutz, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Have a great night, man. Thank you. You too. Well, there you have it, guys. I want to thank Olin Krutz uh, for coming on to the show. I had a blast talking to him once my nerves finally calmed down. <laughs> I was able to just talk to him. You know, he said a lot of really, uh, a lot of really interesting things. Uh, his thoughts on the, on the uh, on the offense and and the, the team and why it's struggling, and a lot of great insight on you know how to handle a losing season. You know, he, he was he was more concerned about doing his job and, you know, be a professional like that's that's how you make it through a season that isn't going well, because you still have a job to do. You still have an obligation to your teammates to do that job. You have an obligation to the organization that drafted you or signed you, picked you and is paying you. And, um, you know, I think that says a lot about Olin Krutz and the man that he is and the man that uh, was our uh, was the was the captain of our offensive line for over a decade. Six Pro Bowls, number 27 on the uh, top 100 Bears of all time uh, list. Uh, he was on the all-decade team in the 2000s. This, this is all stuff I wanted to say in the intro, actually. I wanted to really build him up, but I froze up right there at the very beginning of the interview and just started talking, just started blabbering, and then the next thing you know, the interview uh, is underway but um, you know the guy's got a resume that speaks for itself and one more thing I hope that he adds to his resume before too long is uh, Hall of Famer you know I think he's got a a solid resume for it he wasn't all pro he went to six consecutive uh, Pro Bowls uh, you know he's uh, he's definitely got the pedigree and the uh, and the resume to be worthy of consideration and I think this is his first year First or second year of of uh, eligibility or something. He's I think he's been up for it uh, a year or two at least. But um, you know, would love to see him get some votes and maybe get that gold jacket in Canton uh, someday. I think he deserves it. So, um, but yeah, really, 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 really enjoyed uh, talking to him. Uh, I had fun talking about the the Keith trailer uh, situation. And like I said, I brought that up because somebody posted that clip on Facebook uh, a few weeks back and um you know I just wanted to know since he he was on that team and he was there that day obviously not on the field but uh was wondering if he was in the midst of one of his uh O-line meetings between series or was he on the sidelines actually watching that play unfold and I'm happy to know that he actually watched the whole thing happen he watched the whole thing happen live that was so great so yeah um yeah, so I just had a lot of fun talking to Olin. Hope to get him back on the show sometime uh, uh, down the line. I think he'd be up for that, and I know that I would be. That's for damn sure. Uh, maybe you can have him back on at the uh, at the end of the season and just make it a big extravaganza with him and Lauren Cox and whoever else we can throw in there uh, at, the, at the end of the season uh, as well. I'm sure if the season goes the way that it's been going, we will have plenty to talk about when these 17 weeks are finally up. So we're nine weeks in. We got eight games left to go. The second half of the season kicks off this weekend when the Bears host the Detroit Lions. A winnable game, an absolutely winnable game for us. Uh, the Lions are playing, uh, you know, steadier football uh, this season. They're half a game up on us because of that tie they had with Arizona at the beginning of the year. They're three, four, and one. We're three and five. You know, we're at home, and uh, you know, I just uh, would really love for the team to get a win, uh, like Olin and I were talking about there towards the end. Uh, it's been 
what, six weeks since the Bears have won a football game? The last week in September when they stomped a mud hole in the Vikings was A, the last time we looked like an impressive football team, and B, the last time that we had to celebrate in Club Dub. So I think the guys could use a session in in Club Dub. I really think it would do wonders for the team to finally get that monkey off their back. They went winless in October, and they're in the midst of a four-game losing streak right now. And it's just one of those things where, just like last year, winning was contagious. We won nine out of our last 10 football games we won five in a row we lost that game to the Giants and then won four more straight uh, to head uh, into the playoffs winning can be contagious losing is exactly the same you know if one loss becomes two two becomes three the next thing you know I mean look at the the Bengals look at the Dolphins look at the look at the Jets one and seven one and seven oh and eight it can really pile on look at the the Browns they seem like after starting like two and two they're two and six now that, you know, this was one of the teams like the bears that everyone expected big things from, uh, this year. And when that disappointment gets mixed in with those high expectations, the season can really get away from you. And that's what's happening right now. Uh, we're three and five. Our outlook for the playoffs are slim to none. Uh, at this point, it's still possible, but it's, it's not impossible, but it's just, it's not looking good. Uh, and like, you know, you heard Olin and I talk about it's, uh, you know, nothing that we've seen from them says that that run is possible or that is that it's on its way, but it's possible. And it could all get started with a big win over Detroit this weekend at home, you know, to not be booed off the field by our own fans would probably be a great thing uh, as well. And, uh, to, you know, to get a win over an arch rival in uh, in Detroit. I think would, would go a long way in moving us in uh, the right direction. Headed into a big game on the road next week with the Rams. So, you know, we're going to be on national TV again next week. And um, hopefully we'll put ourselves in the right frame of mind to take on that challenge against the Rams, who, after struggling themselves, have won two, three games uh, in a row and probably add another win this weekend with whoever they're, whoever they're playing before they welcome the Bears into the Coliseum uh, next Sunday night. So, yeah, I mean, it could go a long way getting a win over Detroit. But we'll talk more about that on Friday when our good friend Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit joins us to preview that ball game between these uh, division rivals and to, uh, to see, you know, what's, what's really going on uh, with the Lions. You know, they, they, they've won a couple of games that they weren't uh, – that you wouldn't think they would. They they played the Chiefs about as tight as anybody could, uh, you know, a few weeks back. If not for a mental error here or there, they they probably win that game, actually, which would have been a huge win uh, for them. But then, of course, they go ahead and they, you know, they drop a game here. They beat Philly on the road, which we were incapable of doing this past week. They beat the Chargers, which we also could not do, uh, you know. But they tie Arizona to start out the season, blew a big lead in that game as well. So we got plenty to talk about with Jeremy and what we can look forward to uh, with this game on Sunday between our two squads. And, um, you know, thanks so much for listening to this one, guys. This was, uh, you know, very exciting for me uh, to think that this little, you know, this little hobby of mine could take me in this direction. Uh, it's, it's been a fun, fun journey, and we're just getting started. So we got the, uh, the Week 10 preview coming up on Friday, so come back for that. And until then... My name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.